Good morning. I bet you can't guess why I'm dressed this way. I might have an idea or two. And for those of you who have always wondered, and I'm sure you're out there saying, I, this is something we talk about all the time. Yes, we do talk about our subjects before we start recording. Every culture has its own indigenous foods and tastes. For example, my mother introduced me to a confection called melkocha, which is actually designed to break your teeth out of your skull. And uh, Ecuador is only has one indigenous dish, which is finesca. Uh, and it's a, a 12 bean soup named for the 12 apostles and it's served around Easter. But there are many, many other cultures from, uh, with many other traditional foods. And I was wondering, we need to talk about that. And the rabbi said he needed to talk about that. So he brought in his expert, Rachel, who is going to uh, give us some guidance in food and culture and how it relates to Judaism and in general. Take it away, Rachel. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so I think food is just a really important part of everyday life and everybody coming together and just how we deal with our uh, families, friends, and just uh, religion, holidays. It goes on and on. It's just this natural survival instinct and need that humans have that we have somehow made into an event, a whole experience that really shapes us. For some people, it's not as important because maybe they didn't grow up with it, but in most cultures, you can't go to a single celebratory event or ritual or have a Sunday meal without a specific recipe or tradition around the table. But one of the things I've been really curious about is what we call a blintza, a pancake, a tortilla, a circle of made out of, can, can you name every single society and civilization or many of them that share this idea of you take flour made from whatever, make it into a circle and you roll it up and put stuff in it. I've always been fascinated. So they say that a lot of things originate just because um, human ingenuity only goes so far. Like I'm sure when the wheel was invented, maybe someone across the world had already or was thinking of the wheel. Certain things that you think that you're, you're original at have already happened, but that's because it's either necessity or what's available. So lots of cultures had availability of some sort to any kind of flour, whether it was rice flour, wheat flour, corn flour, because they needed um, things to last through the winter or the cold season or whenever, if it's not cold where they are, a drought, the dry season. So they would learn to dry their foods, grind it up, and so you had flour. And the easiest way to work with that flour was to rehydrate it. So that's why so many things are similar. I mean, totally off topic for food. Do you know how many cultures have the idea of a dragon and they never came into contact until modern days? You have the dragon in South America and then you have the dragon in uh, China. Both of them were long serpentine creatures. Things like that happen where food in the same way was pretty similar just because it's a pretty basic concept. Can, can you name like a blinza, like fajitas? Can you name some of the dishes that use a rolled up circle? Uh, so let's see, I forget what it's called in China, but there's a very common street food where- It's called they, egg roll. It's called, egg, it's called an egg roll. No, not the egg. Well, yeah, the egg roll too. Um, 
or maybe it's COVID. But they do a batter on basically a crepe pan and they put scallions and other fillings in it and roll that up. Um, let's see, there's also the one in South America where they take a corn flour on the back of a hot pan, let that do up like a crepe and peel it off and make fillings. It's just an easy, accessible way. Most things that are pancakes or blintzes um, are made for the mobility of eating it. So it's mostly street food. As the, and that comes back to culture too. A lot of these people are on the go or they need something transportable, uh, mobile, so they can walk with it, work with it, keep it with them when they go out to do whatever they're doing. It's the sameness then with all our cultures. We're all human beings. And so you use a product, wheat, corn that you have local, you make it into something, and then you use what you have. So in a way, we all eat the same. It's just different based on when I look out the window, we don't have seals. We don't have blubber. So it's not going to be in my diet, but that doesn't mean that the Inuit and the other peoples are doing something weird. They may very well roll it up. Like I, I joked about an egg roll with or without shrimp, with or without pork. And you, you have crepes and you can fill the crepe with anything, but you, you're only going to fill it with what's local, what you know about. So that just unites us all. Yeah, I think actually another good example is we have ice cream. Uh, so that like, you know, the French did it and but so did the Inuit, except that it's called Akatak and they didn't have cows or anything for the cream. So they used whale or seal blubber, but they still- Wait a minute, <laughs> how can you have seal, seal blubber and call it ice cream? Wouldn't it be ice blubber? Well, it, it, and that comes down to uh, semantics. Um, because they call they, it was how should I put this? There's lots of times that colonizers tried to name something, and they had trouble um, communicating with the natives. So things would get double named. Like there's um, a city in this uh, Southern America where it's called River River because the colonizers had trouble trying to understand what the natives were trying to tell them. The natives were like, "Oh, they're trying to." find out what we call this river so they said river and stuff like that has happened all over the place okay. um like we have Burke hill so the same thing happened here with the eskimo ice cream um the colonizers were trying to figure out what the heck this was and it looked a lot like ice cream because it was a creamy substance that they mixed in with berries or any other kind of sweet just like we would with our ice cream they just they didn't have a lot of dairy but they had a lot of blubber so are you saying that ice cream is a cross-culture? Yep, it just, they had to do it a little differently. It's um, basically the same texture, but it's more nutritionally uh, fit for them. You know, kind of like how bears store up for winter. It's cold out there. They need a little extra blubber themselves. And they had to call it ice cream of some kind because Baskin Robbins 31 flavors of blubber <laughs> was not good marketing. <laughs> no. They also probably just didn't have a word for it, uh, for ice cream, perhaps. I mean, they called it Akatak, uh, which let me even look up what that specifically means. Now, now that we're educated and have people have actually asked what these things mean. So meals and, and food are a way for us to communicate, to socialize. And then we pick, we meaning people pick special foods for special occasions. 
like the infamous fruitcake? What is that called? Joe, what is it your grandmother made for Christmas? Fruitcake. <laughs> fruitcake. <laughs> but I always thought, and I found for interfaith families, this is how I got roped into Jewish culture. I mean, it was not the services. Love the services, but they're okay. <laughs> but you do, you do high, high mass on Christmas. It's, you know, you've got enough of services. It's the food. And tasting new foods and new combinations of food are a great way to approach people and get them to try things. And by that, cultures. Yes, <clears throat> it, we tie in, let's talk for a minute about the foods for each of the holidays, festivals of all different religions. You know, what's, what's typical of Easter, Hanukkah, Christmas, Passover, where there's no leavening. So there's a very strict rules about what you can cook for Passover. And what's, what's that doing for us then? When, when I see Passover food, as opposed to a fruitcake, as opposed to hot cross buns, can you take a minute to that kind of association, food per holiday, what it's triggering? So I think Judaism is very on the nose, especially with Passover when it comes to what the food is supposed to do for us. We have that, like we have the Seder plate specifically to remind us of these hardships that the Jewish people went through. Um, so you have the bitter herbs for the bitter tears and the salt water, um, the bone, the, um, the egg, and the egg is actually a very universal sign across cultures, especially in Judaism, for rebirth, renewal, life, um, new beginnings. And you'll see that in Easter as well, which is why they do the hard-boiled egg into the grated bread. Um, so we're pretty on the nose. But then you also have a lot of Christian foods that are on the nose, like the hot cross buns. The spring lamb was a, a big food. And there, there were lots of things that were common to all of different cultures. And then the religions incorporated it as part of their ceremonies because who's going to have a holiday without eating something? Well, lambs so, are, yeah, anything like a lamb was common, and that's because lamb, new lambs came with spring, which no, no amount of human um, stubbornness was going to change nature when lambs came about. Um, but uh, Christianity and Judaism are very tightly interwoven with those traditions, and that's because we have the Old and the New Testament. We're probably closer than most. Well, this, this then is another example of the universality that we have a religion and then we draw upon what's around us to remind us of our religious obligations. So the only difference is in what we choose. The idea is to have festival meals that remind us of family, of religious obligations, regardless of the culture regardless of where we go on our planet, we're all the same, only we're different because when you look out the window, you don't have the same, again, going back to our Inuit friends, they don't have a lambing season. So we wouldn't expect them to eat lamb or maybe using a hen's egg because I don't know how many chickens live north of the Arctic Circle. However, they pick another item that has that same representation. Mm -hmm. which is just part of being human. So here we are, holidays and observances. We're all, we're all the same, only we pick something different. Mm -hmm. For thousands of years, humans have picked an animal for a ritual sacrifice. And I think that's because even as some core of us, 
associated animals with the closest, next closest thing to nature. So we do this sacrifice to return to either the earth, the gods, whatever you believed in at the time. Um, so yeah, no, I agree completely. Whatever animal was available is usually what they picked, but we all still picked very universal topics of ritual or of celebration. Spring is a common theme, uh, solstices, New Year's, even if the new year was at a different time, we still like to celebrate the turn of our calendar. Um, and birthdays, uh, and any time that the gods were divine, uh, there's a word and I'm having um, anomia. The Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. Yeah, chicken wings at the Super Bowl. Chicken speaking wings of, at the Super Bowl. Speaking <laughs> of a mobile food that's easy to eat with your fingers. <laughs> Well, you know, I'd like to bring you back because I'd like to talk about taste. So uh, I would like to invite you back to, to a session on the taste of it. Because listening to all this, Joe, wouldn't you like some some wings? Wouldn't you like some pizza? It, doesn't this do something for you? Yeah, yes, I'm definitely going to have to get some tortillas and eggs and sausage right after <laughs> this recording session. But one thing that's always in good taste, Rabbi, is your wisdom and contributions to the conversation and Gestalt. And thank you, <laughs> Rachel. Okay, and thank you for me, Rachel. And I look forward to having you back again. And for all of those of you listening out there, um, enjoy the food du jour, the food of the day and the food of the holiday.